Welcome everybody to the first episode of Move Stronger and Live Longer. I am your host, Dr. Matt Elam. I'm a doctor of physiotherapy. And the reason I entitled this first episode, Start Here, is because I really want to explain the format of the podcast, or at least this is my idea going into it, is I wanted to present it in a way that's interesting to me so that I don't lose interest in it. And hopefully you'll get some value from it. You'll glean some value. Now, the way that I wanted to format it was both from an educational and an entertainment standpoint. So what we'll do is we'll present a topic. Today's topic is on genetics versus epigenetics. And then from there, I'll present high quality evidence or if I, as much high quality evidence as I can find on the topic, that's where the evidence-based research comes in. And then we'll follow that up with some anecdotal, anecdotal evidence or stories really um, that I've found over the years. And this is really how Homo sapiens learn. We learn by stories. If you think about nursery rhymes and um, even fairy tales, these things are 200 years old. Mary had a little lamb, row, row, row your boat. I mean, my parents were singing that and their, their parents were singing it. So it's really ingrained in our DNA and it's a great way to recall information and to keep that information with us. So when we're looking at evidence to move stronger and live longer, longevity, anti-aging. These are the things that we want to cover. So we'll have the evidence-based practice that we'll present. Then we'll look at some of the stories, N equals one, so to speak. And then maybe some questions at the end. I'll ask you some questions that I want you to write down. I want you to think about. I want you to answer out loud, however you process the information. But I want you to get better from the show and get a little entertainment along the way. So without further ado, Let's look at the topic today, which is genetics versus epigenetics. Let's roll. Faith, physiotherapy, health and fitness, longevity, anti-aging, men's health, performance, epigenetics, nutrition and supplementation, evidence-based research, and a bunch more with Dr. Matt Elam, musculoskeletal, longevity, and headache physiotherapist. So let's look at genetics versus epigenetics to start out with. We'll start with basic definitions. The definitions of genetics is that essential branch of biology that looks at human hereditary traits. So you have duplicate coding, half from the mother, half from the father, that, that is intertwined. Uh, that DNA coding becomes you. You pass half of the, that coding on uh, with your partner to your children, and on and on it goes. Now, this is responsible for secondary sex characteristics, eye color, it could be phenotype, your height, your bone density, but from a pathophysiological perspective, it could be Parkinson's, it could be breast cancer. And um, many times when you have this in your genetic code, you tend to be on the offense of your, you're looking for these things so that you can try to prevent them to the best of your ability. Now that's fairly straightforward. We don't need to present any evidence on that or we know about genetics, that's fairly intuitive. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at epigenetics. The definition of epigenetics is the study of behavior and environment on the human organism itself. So we're looking at such things as psychosocial things. We're looking at lifestyle, such as your environment, your level of stress, etc., on that hereditary organism itself. Can it increase the lifespan in a good way, or will it de can it decrease and lead to mortality if you're not living properly. You know, can it is it is it a good thing, bad thing, or is it no change? Really, does epi, epigenetics not really matter? You're 
when it comes to your genetics, your genetics will just take over. So you're going to hear some clicking here as we bring up uh, the first paper. The first paper is a systematic review, and the title of it is The Epigenetic Clock as a Predictor of Disease and Mortality Risk. It's a systematic review and a meta-analysis. Skip the methods used. But what they found is 23 relevant papers were identified, including a total of 41,607 participants. That's quite a bit. Four studies focused on aging and longevity, 11 papers on age-related disease such as cancer, cardiovascular disease, and dementia, and 11 on mortality. There was some, although inconsistent, evidence for an association between increased DNA methylation age, and risk of disease. Meta-analyses indicated that each five-year increase in DNA methylation age was associated with an 8 to 15 percent increase of risk mortality. So the DNA methylation age is a means in which they test the DNA across the lifespan. So they're able to, to actually look at how the DNA ages across one's lifespan, and they're finding a correlation here between that and mortality. The conclusion of this systematic review and meta-analysis was due to the small number of studies and heterogeneity in study design and outcomes. The association between DNA methylation age and age-related disease and longevity is inconclusive. Increased epigenetic age was associated with mortality risk, but positive publication bias needs to be considered. Further research is needed, they said, to determine the extent at which DNA methylation age can be used as a clinical biomarker. Okay, so first of all, in research, when they say heterogeneity, they mean that the papers were too different. They were looking at two, they were looking at a, a various number of things, and they weren't coming together. So that even though they had forty-one thousand participants, well, there's a lot of different studies that were looking at a lot of different things, and so the outcomes aren't the same. And so it's hard to really get a concentrated population on one or two things. You know, some were looking at disease, some were looking at longevity in general and somewhere elsewhere. So that's what they mean by heterogeneity. It would have been better if those studies were more homogeneous or there was homogeneity, which means they all were very similar in what they were looking at as far as outcome measures. So it's still a good paper because it, it tells us that uh, they are looking or we are looking at ways to measure age and then we measure those ages in relation to our lifestyle. Um, we can uh, correlate that with mortality. We can correlate that with... Um, what a healthy lifestyle is doing to that methylation. So as, as we age, that methylation increases, so does mortality. So it is saying that if you live a good life, you'll be able to see it. If you're not living a good life, you'll also be able to see that. Let's look at another paper. This is also a systematic review, I believe. This is a little bit longer paper. And this one was a systematic review of biological, social, and environmental factors associated with epigenetic clock acceleration. So if we look at the summary, the review systematically examined 156 studies where there was initially 2,235 studies that didn't make the cut, and there was a strong association of epigenetic clock acceleration with mortality and other social and clinical factors. So it says, goes on to say, we observed a high coherence between the two methods of assessing effect size used in this review. Now I want to skip down to some of the epigenetic markers that they were looking at here. Um, maybe marker is not the right, the right term for it. It's some of the factors, let's say. And one of them that they found led to a early mortality, basically male sex. 
So male sex was associated with increased epigenetic aging. So this factor showed consistent effect size and statistical significance in all conducted analyses. This agrees with well-established observations that males have shorter lifespans in spite of females experiencing higher rates of disability and poor health. Now this phenomenon is known as the male-female health survival paradox. Now let's see what else it says. So stage of life, a 20-year longitudinal study, it indicated higher male epigenetic age is already established by age 50. All right, so if we're males, probably won't live as long as our female counterparts. Now we kind of know this already by 2023, but this is just a, another study that proves that. I think the life expectancy of a female is 78, a male might be about 76 or 75. Another factor that they found that uh, ex an epigenetic factor linked to mortality was body mass index. Body mass index was correlated with the increased epigenetic age according to the according to the Horvath, Levine, and Grimm age clock. So they found that a relation between physical activity and epigenetics clocks was less uniform. The two mortality trained clocks showed significant association between physical activity and epigenetic clock deceleration in both the meta-analyses and the weighted Z data set. So that's exercise is good. Exercise will slow down mortality. Another factor was socioeconomic status. So impacts impacts many aspects of physical and psychological health and the correlation between low socioeconomic status and shorter life expectancy has been observed repeatedly. Okay, it also says a logical expectation would therefore be an age acceleration in groups with lower socioeconomic status. Then there's alcohol use, including hazardous drinking and alcohol use disorder is a major factor contributing to shorter life expectancy. And so on and on it goes. Um, it talks about smoking. Smoking is a leading risk factor for many major age-related diseases, which you already should know. That should be pretty common sense at this point. Um, but it leads to diseases such as cancer, cardiovascular disease, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. Let's see if there's anything more in here that we can, that we can talk about. Also, HIV infections causes signs of premature aging, especially early dementia. Infected patients are now achieving longer life expectancies due to these, due to antiretroviral therapy. However, in spite of the absence of AIDS-related symptoms, these patients are experiencing an increased rate of disease typically associated with aging. All right, so that's a, a basic look at that. It just verifies that our lifestyle plays a role on our mortality. You know, if you exercise and you live a healthier lifestyle, you get sleep, you eat better, it decelerates the clock methylation. What these studies are showing is that, yes, there is a, a correlation, a both statistical significance and clinical significance between how our behaviors and how our environment affects our longevity. So what we do does matter is what the science is saying. But now I want to take a look at N equals one, some, some anecdotal stories. So if you don't know who Jack LaLanne is, he was an American who really pioneered the fitness world. In fact, he was one of the first in the early 40s and 50s to open up a studio, which was a, a resistance-based gym. And 
he really pioneered equipment such as the leg extension, the leg curl. So when you lie on a prone leg curl machine, you can really thank Jack Lane for that. He really pioneered those things. He also had a TV show. Uh, it was a working out with Jack Lane show. And that went on, I think, until the early 80s, I believe. Uh, this guy was an absolute beast. At 70 years old, I think he swam across the Alcatraz Channel um, pulling several tugboats. So he had a tremendous cardiovascular system. The guy was strong. Uh, he was also very uh, cognitively sound and, and just a role model for many of us, including myself. Now, the way that Jack Lane passed away is he passed away in his own house. He didn't have any servants. Uh, he didn't have any um, nurses or, or healthcare professionals taking care of him. He was 96 years old, living independently, and he died in his sleep. And that, prior that to that uh, going passing in his sleep, that day before he had a two-hour workout, uh, if I read it correctly, and he went at 96 years old. Now, what, what's phenomenal about that, it's not the fact that he was 96. Jack himself said if he wasn't so competitive and working so hard and working his system so hard that he could have, he felt like he was going to live longer. But because he was so competitive, he felt like he wasn't going to live as long as he should have, which is interesting. But if you look back at Jack's genetics, he had said himself that none of his family members had ever lived past their 80s. They all died in their early 70s. So now you have a classic case of genetics versus epigenetics. Did Jack LaLanne live to be 96 when no other of his family members ever made it to their 80s just because it was a genetic fluke? And he would have lived that way anyway, had he not trained and exercised and dieted properly? Or was it epigenetics that put Jack Lane into that elite class of health? Well, I have my own ideas on it, but I think that if you don't know the Jack Lane story, it's really interesting, and I think you should Google it and look into it more. In fact, his wife, I think it's Ellen Lane, when they met, she was living that that typical 50s secretary type lifestyle. She was smoking one or two packs of cigarettes a day. She was eating donuts and coffee for her uh, lunch. Uh, she was pretty unhealthy that way. And then and then he came along and, and changed her diet and changed her, her exercise. She changed her supplementation. And I believe if I'm not if I'm not wrong here, if I'm if I'm not incorrect, I believe that she outlived Jack, she might be 98 years old and still kicking. So epigenetics versus genetics. It's good to know that at least from what we're, what we're seeing and what I've seen is that if you choose to live a healthier lifestyle, you can have a profound effect on, let's say, the last 10 years of your life, which may have not even been given to you if you didn't take care of yourself. So you, you, give, you gave yourself an extra 10 years and you want to make sure that, that those 10 years you're moving well, you're independent, you're not relying on people, you're not a burden to your loved ones or society. And I think that you can do that if you really look into the epigenetics and really look into good movement programs. You know, that's just, that's just what I'm gleaning from this information. I also want to talk to you a little bit about my dear old paternal grandmother. My grandmother on my father's side is one of my favorite people. She was absolutely uh, just the best thing in my life, one of the best things in my life. All four ten of her, which is interesting because I'm 6'3", and so I used to tell people I, that's where I get my height for my little, little tiny, cute little grandmother. But she's full Okinawan, 
And if you know anything about the Blue Zones, and if you don't, that's okay, because we're going to get into that in another episode. The Blue Zone, one of the, one of the countries famous for centenarians, for having individuals that are over 100 years old and still healthy and living independently, are the Okinawans. And my grandmother was 100% Okinawan, um, but she had seven, she was one of seven sisters, and only her oldest sister was born in Okinawa. So her parents came to the island of Maui, and uh, God bless all those people on Maui, especially Lahaina, what they're going through. Um, our prayers are with you, uh, especially us from Oahu, you know, we're your brothers, your brothers in arms. But, so she grew up in Maui, then she moved to Oahu, um, and she lived to be 89 years old, and then she went in her sleep. But the thing is, her sister, who was younger than her, ended up living to, as far as I know, 102 or 103 years old. So this is genetics versus epigenetics, right? So genetics does not hurt you. Like having good genetics is going to help. Which was interesting was because my auntie, my, my, uh, I guess my great auntie, who was my mom's sister, she lived to be 102 but she was the overweight one of the sisters. She was the one that ate a lot of pork. She smoked. Um, she didn't have the best lifestyle. But that's another, that was a genetic factor or genetic factors that led to her living longer. Now, she wasn't living independently, though. When she died in her, at 102 or 103, she was at assistive care home, you know, or basically a, um, a senior home. My grandmother, we believe, could have lived 10 years longer. But... If you looked at her diet for the 30-something years that I knew her, I had not once seen her drink pure water. She always had some form of black tea, sometimes green tea, but it was mostly decaf coffee. So I can't even imagine how dehydrated she was, and I have never seen her drink pure water. Her diet was also uh, less, less than optimal. She had these things called anpan, which are these pastries with the black azuki beans in there, and she would keep that in her purse. She would have candy in her purse. She loved uh, fish fillet, so she would eat fish fillet. She would make sandwiches with blue cheese in it or ranch, which were delicious, by the way, as a youngster. But she didn't have the best diet. And towards the end, she did have a fall in her mid-80s, and um, she did have a very sharp mind. But towards the end... She stopped doing things to, to really enforce or reinforce that sharp cognitive process. She was no longer doing crossword puzzles. She was uh, no longer walking to go meet her lady friends at the gazebo restaurant in, in Honolulu. She kind of gave up a little bit. And when you couple that with dehydration, you couple that with um, the cognitive factor slipping a little bit because she wasn't keeping up. That's, that's what I believe led to an early grave for my beloved grandmother. And 89, I mean, 89 is the life expectancy. It's a year more than the life expectancy of those in Japan. And it's still 11 years more than the average American. So, yeah, there is something to be said about genetics. Some people have good genetics. But just because you have good genetics doesn't mean that you're going to be living in your 90s healthy. You're dependent. You know, my dear old grandmother was dependent on us. After a while, she needed a four-wheel walker. And so my thing is, whether you have good genetics, like my grandmother and her sisters, or you don't have good genetics, like Jack Elaine and his family, you have to rely on good epigenetics. Because epigenetics can take you places that your genetics may not. And even if you have good 
genetics in you and you put in a good lifestyle and good sleep and good exercise programs, good movement programs, you're going you're gonna to ensure that whether you live to 85, 95, or 105, you can live independently. And it's all about moving stronger and living longer. And so in conclusion, we've looked at the evidence that they are trying to find through methylation ways to correlate life expectancy with mortality. You know, can we, can we see that you're, that you're getting older um, and then if there's any kind of intervention that can be had in between then to prolong your life or, or decelerate that rate of methylation. And another study showed that these epigenetic factors, these psychosocial environmental factors and lifestyle factors absolutely made a difference on mortality. And then we looked at the Jack LaLanne story. Didn't have the best genetics, but lived independently till he was 96 years old and died peacefully in his sleep, or at least, you know, that's, that's the story that it was peacefully in his sleep. And then my dear old grandmother who lived to 89 and it was pure genetics. She really didn't take all that care, great care of herself. Um, but had she have done so, she might've been that person living to hundred and still living in her house with her sisters by herself on her own independently. So I guess the question that I have for you is if you had, if you knew that you were going to live to be a hundred and it doesn't matter what your preconceptions were, maybe your family members all died in, in their sixties and seventies. If you knew that you're going to live to a hundred, what would you do with those extra 10 to 15 years? Let's say that you're going to live to be a hundred. If you knew that you're going to live to be a hundred, which gives you an extra 10, even 15 plus years, and you were going to be healthy. You, you could literally walk independently without assistive devices. You could live on your own. You could make your own food. You could drive. If you knew you were going to do that, what extra things would you do in your life? What things that if you can imagine yourself, let's say passing at 80, if you had those extra 15, 20 years and you were healthy, what else would you do? Would you travel more? Would you get into a different career? Would you write books? I'm interested, what would you do with that extra 15 years if you knew you would be healthy, you knew you'd be independent, and you could live life on your own terms? All right, guys, that's all we have for today's episode. I hope it uh, brought you some value. I hope it gave you a little bit of entertainment. Um, and I hope it just it makes you think about epigenetics and how important it is pushes you towards the next episode uh, because I'd, I'd love to see you there. All right, until we see you again, move strong and live long. Bye-bye. How would you like to lose at least five pounds of body fat by eating this one simple natural fruit? Well, research studies have shown that the experimental group who ate a weekly dose of strawberries, natural strawberries, lost at least five or more pounds of body fat compared to the control groups who ate no strawberries at all. What is it about strawberries that has such a fat-fighting or fat-melting effect? Well, it's the bioactive known as allegic acid. Allegic acid in strawberries is what stops the accumulation of adipose tissue, which leads to more and more body fat. So not only are you looking 
protein leaner, but it's also anti-diabetic, anti-cancerous, and anti-cardiovascular disease. In his book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, Dr. William Lee, MD, has his own research institute, and they look at foods like strawberries, blueberries, broccoli. They look at whole grains. They look at probiotics so that you have the best profile by eating natural foods to decrease inflammation, to increase your immunity, increase your libido, and live a happier, stronger, healthier life because that is the name of the game for us here at Move Strong and Live Long. So go ahead and grab your copy of Dr. Lee's book called Eat to Beat Your Diet, available on Amazon.